That's big time. Minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Oh, did he belt that one? Intensity is not a perfume. It was a no-downer. Five, four, three, two, one. We are up in the bird's nest here at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. I'm Brendan Mortensen alongside Matt Bonaparte. A lot of things to discuss today, Bones. We've got the Hall of Fame class from last night. The Orioles made a couple of small moves here and there. But first, we should start with just yet another exciting weekend for Baltimore sports as the Ravens advance to the AFC Championship, take down the Texans. They'll face the Chiefs as the Bills went wide right yet again. Bummer for them. But the Ravens welcome Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, and Taylor Swift to Baltimore, which got me thinking. If we were to construct a pickup, maybe a flag football team of Baltimore Orioles, what would your skill positions look like? So quarterback, wide receiver. Quarterback, wide receiver, maybe a slot wide out. I know the left tackle and right tackle would be Felix Bautista and Tyler Wells, so I'm just preemptively putting them on our fake flag football team here. That's a good call. Um, I think that if you're looking at a quarterback on this team, you have a couple options. Yep. Think about guys who throw the ball well. Obviously, the pitchers come to mind, but maybe a catcher does too. Maybe a catcher. Though I'm going Grayson Rodriguez. Yeah, that's that's Uh, where I went Grayson, big, tall guy, uh, has a cannon of an arm, can move. Uh, Also, he's got that, you know, he's got that mentality I think you need as a football player where it's like, I'm going to put you in the ground kind of thing. Yep. And that's Grayson Rodriguez. Yeah, I went with Grayson at quarterback, too. Got the size, got the athleticism. I wonder, too, I posted that meme of Grayson Rodriguez before the Ravens game of him sitting on his couch in a Lamar jersey and a Justin Tucker helmet. And I really wonder if Grayson is just scrolling through Twitter. It's like, why is this weirdo posting a picture of me from like three years ago? But I, I knew, I remember that meme existed, and That's I, funny. and I went for the Ravens game. Yeah, quarterback, I went Grayson. Running back, I went Adley. Interesting. I, mean, I, I think he's got the power. He's got the okay. speed. He's got the shiftiness. He tackled Christian McCaffrey that one time, he so did he understands Christian the running back position. Adley, of course, would also be the kicker. And the yes, punter of course. on the team, as he was a kicker. He tackled Christian for McCaffrey, State. like you said, as a kicker. Tackled Christian McCaffrey. But Adley was my choice at running back. I was thinking like Gunner, but then Gunner's a little bit too tall. Yeah. Gunner's like 6'3, I think. I had Gunner down at running back and erased it as well. And I think the tallest running backs have only been like 6'4. And if like you're going to be George, tall, was like 6'3. Yeah, that's true. That's a big running back, though. But I think Adley, he's got the speed. He's got the, you know, he'll bull you over. He will. No, yeah. I, I, I'll put Adley there as well because he does, while he isn't going to win a foot race against a DB, he he's going to get you five yards whenever you need it. Yeah. And that's what this offense we're creating needs. Yeah, right. So it, he'll get I'll you five Adley tough yards. In the backfield. Uh, my number one wide receiver is Gunner. I yep. moved him out from, from running back to wide out. We both have that, so I'm going to go right into the slot. And it's Cedric Mullins. Yep, I, I mean, also how could it not be Cedric Mullins? I mean, I mean, he screams slot wide out. He's going to yeah. find the soft spot of the zone, and he's going to make a catch 13 yards, yeah. a little curl route every Cedric single Mullins, time. Cedric Mullins, big dude, too. I mean, well, he's, no, he's, he's a not. shorter guy, but like I'm talking like big. <laughs> yeah, no, he's like, a strong that's, guy. That's a built slot wide out. Also, it would be just an excellent ball hawking free safety with the yes. way he can track balls in center yeah, field. I was thinking about a lot of defense as well. Yeah. Um, that's something I thought about. Austin Hayes as a safety as well, I think would go well. You might even put him at the corner. I might put Austin Hayes at corner. Yeah. yeah. Uh, 
and I've got Anthony Santander at outside linebacker. Oh, I man. think he would maul Anthony guys. Santander is your edge rusher. Oh yeah, he, he he's gonna he, he has to probably put on like ten more pounds, but I think he'd be a bull. Back I think there. he'd be great. Yeah, tight end. I had Ryan Mountcastle. I got Ryan O'Hearn. Whoa. Yeah. A couple of Ryans. Yeah, tight I like end. Ryan O'Hearn. I tight like end. that. Big dude. Gronk like. He'll run you over. He doesn't care about your feelings, you know, on <laughs> the football field. Ryan O'Hearn doesn't field. care about feelings? Not on the football field, no. Oh, sure. But when he's off it, he's a great guy. Yeah, uh, I'm sure. Great guy. Ryan O'Hearn. But like I said, we've got a lot of uh, other topics to get to here. First off, there were no Orioles that were going to make, you know, a big significant jump in the Hall of Fame class last night, but we did have three new inductees. Adrian Beltre, one of the best third basemen of all time, 21 seasons. Didn't make an all-star game until his 30s, which is just a really cool trajectory to end up I mean, making the Hall of Fame. Six top 10 MVP finishes, hit 307 seasons, 20-plus homers 12 times. Just a really good, really consistent player. Somebody that just oozed joy for the game, too, which is really cool. So big congrats to Adrian Beltre. Got Joe Maurer, first ballot. Hall of Famer, which was really cool. Snuck in there a little bit. 15 seasons, one of the best catchers of all time. This was, if you want to talk about Adley Rutschman as a generational type of catching prospect, that's exactly what Joe Maurer was before Adley, before Buster Posey. Baseball America had three 80 grades on Joe Maurer. Really? Before I didn't he got know to that. the big leagues. He had an 80 grade hit tool, 80 grade fielding, 80 grade arm. That's wild. Yeah. And it was true. It, it came to fruition. Yeah, yeah he, that, that 80 grade hit tool for somebody in his MVP season who hit 365 with an OPS over 1,000. What a As a catcher. Player. Yeah. There have been seven seasons in the history of the sport where a catcher has won the batting title. He's got three of them. How about that? Yeah. I mean, that's a crazy stat that I heard on the broadcast last night. Um, yeah, he's a fantastic player, one of the greatest catchers of all time. His swing was so fantastic, um, something that your coaches as a kid or when I was a kid would try to say, you know, try to look like that guy because his swing was so compact, yeah. level plane, flat swing to the ball quickly. He was just a professional hitter, uh, and he was a great, great catcher as well. you got to love Joe Maurer. Yeah, six seasons of an on-base percentage over 400. Wild. 307 seasons. The Joe, Mauer, the Joe Mauer Power Hour was must-see TV. Yeah, it really was. awesome. Todd Helton gets in as well, which is really cool. His sixth year on the ballot, played 17 seasons, all in Colorado. Five-time All-Star, finished top 10 in MVP voting three times, a couple of gold gloves, a couple of silver sluggers. His 2000 season is one of the best statistical seasons, I think, probably ever yeah. from an offensive standpoint. He hit 372. With a 463 on base percentage, slugged almost 700 wow. with an OPS over 1,100. Yeah, 42 I mean, homers, 59 doubles. Come on. I mean, he was so, so good. Yeah. Another guy that uh, took him a little while to get in, but he was so, so good, Todd Helton. Yeah. I know there's a little bit of Coors Field bias, and you're looking at Todd Helton's stats, and you're going, well, he played at Coors half the time. You hit 372, you hit 372. <laughs> yeah, also, those walks didn't, Corsfield did not help him to walk. No. You know, so I think uh, he absolutely deserves to be, and he's a fantastic player. Yeah, 20-plus homers, eight seasons, six of them were 30-plus. He hit 300 in a season 12 times. Wow. That's it's a real good hit. That's the real deal right there. Yeah. That's fantastic. So those are the three that get in. Billy Wagner just outside, falls a couple of votes short. 
I have some qualms about Billy Wagner not making the Hall of Fame. I could probably spend this entire show talking about those qualms. But his ERA is is half an earned run lower than Trevor Hoffman, who is in the Hall of Fame. He has the lowest whip of any reliever with at least 700 innings pitched, any retired reliever right now. The 231 ERA is the lowest among retired relievers with at least 500 innings pitched. Made seven All-Star games. I know he didn't save 600 games like Trevor Hoffman and Mariano Rivera. I, I don't know what else he has to do. Still saved 422. Yeah, still <laughs> top 10 all-time in saves. Yeah, I mean, I think that um, what I'll start with is I think that uh, Maurer getting in is a really good sign that we are looking at each position with a bit of a different lens nowadays and not saying, well, you know, he didn't have such and such numbers, he's not in. You know, catcher and closer are both positions in which I think we're going to have to shift our view a little bit um, and kind of and look at it a little bit differently. A guy like Posey, who's kind of next up in that conversation, uh, you're not going to look at his numbers the same way you would at a guy who played 20 years at third base or something like that. Right. Um, and closer's the same way. When we look at those numbers, saves really aren't the the biggest thing. I mean, in my opinion, and I think in the opinion of a lot of people, it's about strikeouts, whip, ERA, K per nine. Those things hold a little bit more weight in that conversation. And uh, being five votes off this year, I think Willie Wagner has a great shot at getting in next year and maybe setting the uh, the tone for guys after him. And that's my other qualm. You mentioned, you know, he falls just short this year, has a good chance of getting in next year. Okay. Why do they have to wait that long? Their stats aren't getting better as they retired. Yeah. One of the weirder conversations that I heard last night, I get it because that's how the process has been. I'm saying I get why the conversation sure. was happening. But somebody like Chase Utley, who is kind of a, you know, you can make an argument one way or another for the Hall of Fame. Received, I think, 29% of the vote last night. And the conversation around Chase Utley was, oh, that's really good. He's on track to eventually get to that 75% threshold that you need to make the Hall of Fame. What is happening to Chase Utley's numbers from now to the time that he would potentially get a 75% vote to make the Hall of Fame. The thing you is... You either think he's a Hall of Famer right now or you don't. He's not going to get better. With guy, with people only getting 10 votes every year, you know, I think that they look at the guys who have 9 or 10 on their ballot instead of guys like Utley who are new to the ballot. Sure. And they'll put the guys who are 8, 9, or 10 um, on their list over guys who definitely But how many people time. are actually voting for 10 know. guys I don't on know their how, Hall of Fame. I, I think probably more than you think, but I think there are also people voting for um, the Hall of Fame that will only vote for six people or seven people, and they'll leave the guys um, with only a couple, or only a couple years on and who are maybe borderline um, off of their ballots because they could vote for them later on. Yeah. I don't, know. I don't think it, that's a frustrating that's not how process I do it, but I don't yeah. have a vote, so I can't change it for you. I don't know. I think you either think a guy's a Hall of Famer or not. That's, yeah, no, I agree with you. Yeah. Also, I don't think that every year there are 10 guys that are Hall of Famers, so you absolutely could vote, make that vote for Chase Utley if you believed he was a Hall of Famer. Sure. But, um, yeah, that's just how it goes. So, Those sorry for qualms. Yeah. Whatever. We got Orioles to talk about. Let's talk about some of the moves that Baltimore has made over the last week or so. We'll start with kind of the smaller one. Yesterday, saw the Orioles bring in outfielder Daniel Johnson on a minor league deal. Depth move, 28 years old. He had a 967 OPS in AAA, 
for the Padres organization last year. She's pretty good. Can play center field. Can probably play either of the corner outfields. Reminds me a lot of the Daz Cameron move from last year where, you know, maybe it was somebody who was going to make a big league appearance at some point if you had some injuries, if you needed somebody to fill in. It's not going to be a significant move in terms of what you're seeing on the big league field more than likely, but it's a good AAA depth move. Everybody needs good AAA depth moves. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that uh, Daniel Johnson's going to see a lot of major league time, but nope. uh, he is a guy that you could put in the minor leagues and be happy that he's there. And I think that uh, the role he'll probably play. Yeah, hasn't played season. in the big leagues since 2021. So wouldn't anticipate that he's going to get a lot of major league run. I think if you are looking at outfielders that could be competing for an open day roster spot, probably wouldn't put him in the same category as even somebody like Sam Hilliard or Kyle Stowers, who are maybe on the outside looking in, but still closer to the in than the out. I think Daniel Johnson's probably a little bit further down that road there, I would imagine. Yeah, I agree. For sure. Yeah. Good minor league depth move. Not a ton to talk about there. You, you always need those sorts of moves. The trade that we will talk about a little bit more here is the Orioles acquiring Tyler Nevin from the Tigers for cash considerations. Nevin came to the O's in the Michael Givens trade. If you remember, he came over with Taron Vavra a few years ago. Bounced between AAA and the majors for Baltimore for a few seasons. Did the same thing in Detroit. Nevin has always been one of those players that is really, really good at AAA and just hasn't really been able to figure it out at the majors. Whether that's just the talent jump thing that he's not quite there, or if he hasn't gotten the reps, you know, sufficient reps every day playing time in the major leagues to really find a rhythm, get into a groove. But you saw it again in Detroit last season. Played 41 games for the Tigers up in the big leagues, hit 200 with a 622 OPS, and then he goes back down to AAA and hits 326 with a 943 OPS. So he's going to be a really good player in AAA, and you kind of know what you have at this point in the big leagues. Yeah, has some major league experience, um, can play, you know, utility fielder, uh, can play, you know, a decent amount of positions. Um, and like you said, he's going to be pretty effective in the minor league level. So another guy that you have is depth that uh, you could bring up and has faced major league pitching plenty in his career. So a uh, decent move in that sense. Yeah, but it's not as simple as the Daniel Johnson move because Daniel no. Johnson, you signed to a minor league deal. Tyler Nevin, you trade for, he is on your 40-man roster, and he is out of minor league options. So there's a few things to consider there. Yeah. Is Tyler Nevin a serious possibility to make this opening day roster? I think that's question number one. And question number two is, do the Orioles just feel confident enough in this move that they can get him through waivers and he just becomes that minor league depth that we're kind of anticipating? We'll start with question number one there, because is Nevin realistically going to make this opening day roster? I don't think so. There are two places where he would realistically compete, and that is in kind of the first base corner outfield hybrid role that Ryan O'Hearn is currently filling, that Heston Kerstad will more than likely fill if he ends up making this team, or are you looking at him primarily as a third baseman, in which case he needs to compete against probably somebody like Ramona Rios with Gunnar Henderson and Jordan Westberg all but being roster locks for opening day. And in both of those places, I don't think he's beaten out Ryan O'Hearn or Heston Kerstad for that first base corner outfield role unless you are looking for somebody to be a right-handed hitter 
in that role, which wouldn't really make sense because then you can't platoon him with Ryan Mountcastle. Or are you looking at him in that third base spot where I don't really think he beats Ramon Arias because Ramon Arias is a gold glove caliber third baseman who can play multiple positions in the infield. And Tyler Nevin is really only giving you third base, first base. So I don't see a path for him to make the opening day roster anywhere. I agree. I don't think he makes the opening day roster. So you do then have to look toward um, whether or not he clears waivers, which is question number two, if you're going to yeah. send him down to the minor leagues. Um, and obviously that's not something I or you and I can tell the future on. But, I mean, probably. But, I, you know, yeah. what do I know? <laughs> I mean, that's my best guess at yeah, this point. Probably. Because when you look at the organizational depth for the Orioles right now, there wasn't really a first baseman in AAA Norfolk because you don't have Lewin Diaz anymore. You don't have, you know, somebody like Josh Lester that you could put at first base. Right now, the first baseman that would maybe be there is T.T. Bowens, but he's still in AA Bowie and probably needs some more time there. You could argue that Heston Kerstad might be your first baseman in AAA Norfolk, but there's a chance that he makes the opening day roster. So it makes the most sense to me as your triple-A Norfolk first baseman, but you got to get him there first. Yeah. Because right now he's on the 40-man. He doesn't have minor league options. So you got to make sure that he's able to get to triple-A. And that's where this move makes sense to me, where it's somebody that the organization is familiar with. He can give you some decent production at the big leagues as a fill-in type of guy. Probably don't want him making everyday starts with the kind of numbers that we've seen over the last few seasons. But he's going to hit really well in AAA. We know that. And, you know, clearly they like him or else they wouldn't have gotten him back. Yeah, and that's what I was going to say as well is with the experience that they've had with him, I'm sure that this move correlates with, like you said, them liking him and being like, okay, we know this guy. We like what he does for our organization. We like having him here. Yeah. Let's bring him back. Yeah. So I think he probably turns into your triple-A first baseman, which I think is a move that makes a lot of sense yeah. to bring somebody back, again, that the organization is familiar with. He is clearly well-liked among coaches and staff, or else they wouldn't have traded for him yes. to get him back in the organization. So it's a move that makes sense in that regard. I think I would be a little bit more confused if he is in your opening day plans, but we're not going to make that assumption. I, I think what makes the most sense is that he's a depth guy. But that kind of brings us to our next and biggest topic of conversation, which is we've seen some smaller moves here, right? The Orioles bring in D Daniel Johnson. They bring in Tyler Nevin. Great. That's not really moving the needle all that much. And we have talked ad nauseum this offseason about moves that are going to push the Orioles over the top to get them a deeper playoff run, to make that push, to consistently compete with the top teams in the American League. So what moves do the Orioles still need to make? You went into the offseason with one, I think, glaring hole, and that was in the bullpen. You needed somebody who could consistently close games. You didn't have Felix Bautista. You knew that you could get some fill-ins from Yenier Cano, from Danny Coulomb, from maybe D.L. Hall, whoever you ended up trusting to close games. But we knew it would be very helpful for their them to bring in somebody with closing experience, and that's what they did with Craig Kimbrell. Outside of that reliever role, I don't know if there was a glaring hole somewhere, which made the topic of what do the Orioles need a bit of a tricky conversation. 
Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, obviously people look towards the rotation, uh, but it really isn't a glaring hole because they have options, yeah. like, like you mentioned. Um, you know, the, the the fifth spot right now, while maybe not what some people would like to see, there still is potential talent that they could fill that with. Uh, three names come to mind, Irvin, Wells, Hall. We don't know who it's going to be, but the one through four is pretty much set right now uh, with John Means and Dean Kramer rounding it out at three and four after Bradish and Rodriguez at the one, two. Um, so you could add another guy and, and whether he's a top guy and then you shift everybody else down one, or you go out and get a guy for the back end of the rotation to fill into, into a role there, but not a glaring hole. Do they need guys? Do they need a guy there? Probably not. Would people like to see somebody? Yeah. Um, in terms of an outfield spot, you lost Aaron Hicks this off season. That's going to be interesting to see what final decision they make on that whether or not they're just going to let it play out in spring training and say okay we're going to decide we're not signing somebody it's either going to be sam hilliard or stowers kerstad or Kowser on the bench um or if, are they going to go to the free agency and get another guy like aaron hicks maybe they go out and get a different bat yeah. um but those are the two things that come to my mind of anything close to a need yeah i want to start with the starting pitching because that's been the biggest topic of conversation all offseason long the should could need portion of that conversation is what I think is really interesting yeah because as you mentioned there are four guys that are pretty much locked into the starting rotation with Bradish Rodriguez Kramer means do you need a starting pitcher you have Tyler Wells D.L. Hall Cole Irvin you potentially have Chase McDermott Cade Povich Seth Johnson yeah for that number five spot. So I think you have seven guys solidly and then three prospects. So I would say seven solid guys that you'd be comfortable making starts, maybe eight if you want to take one of those prospects there. Nine players made starts for the Orioles last year. You were relatively lucky health-wise, I would say. You had Grayson Rodriguez bounce back and forth between the starting rotation and AAA, so that's not really a health thing. That's just somebody who's not necessarily starting all the time. You were without John Means for most of the season. Tyler Wells has some arm fatigue down the stretch. I think that's still pretty good luck in your starting I rotation so health-wise. I would venture to say that you probably need more than seven or eight starting pitchers that you are comfortable making starts throughout a season. Last year, the Orioles started nine guys. One of them was Keegan Aiken, who just kind of made a spot start. So eight guys made starts on a relatively consistent basis at least made a few so I would say seven or eight you're around that number but you would like one more the need part of the conversation is interesting because you could certainly upgrade the starting rotation that's not a question yes if you wanted to trade for somebody like Dylan Cease you have all the prospects to do so Mm -hmm. you don't necessarily have to but you are in the AL East Look at a team like the Yankees that has brought in Juan Soto, that has brought in Marcus Stroman. The Blue Jays haven't made a ton of moves, but they are getting better on the margins a little bit. The Rays, they traded Tyler Glass now, but you know the Rays are just probably going They've to be probably better probably got somehow. another Tyler Glass now there. <laughs> they probably do. So do you need to keep up with the Joneses? Do you need to make sure that you are staying ahead of a team like the Yankees that isn't going to have another disappointing season more than likely? I think that's a question there, too, where you're not just looking at your roster, but you're looking around the American League, you're looking around baseball and saying, okay, 
all the other teams that won 95 plus games are making other significant moves. And is there a requirement to keep up with those guys a little bit? Yeah, I mean, that's definitely what the question that that's uh, puttering around in the front office right now of, uh, you know, is what we have here enough or do they need one or two more arms or something like that? Personally, I think this is this is a season in which a lot of that hinges on whether or not Grayson Rodriguez is an ace caliber pitcher this year. Sure. We saw him come back from a rehab stint uh, in July this season and be absolutely dominant. I mean, he was so flipping good when he came back. If he can do that for a full season or even a little bit less than that for a full season, they're, they don't need another guy because they, and obviously in that situation, Bradish would probably have to do similar to what he did last year, but they'd have two really, really good arms at the top of the rotation. And all of a sudden you're not worrying about where Dylan Cease is. Um, but would it be nice to see a guy like Dylan Cease come in? Absolutely. But I also think they have plenty of talent. So I'm not sure it's a need for them to go out and get a starting pitcher when they have so much talent there already. And like you said, you mentioned the guys in the minor leagues who still have plenty of potential, the Povich, uh, McDermott's of the world, Seth Johnson's. We haven't even seen what Johnson can do in another season. So yeah. um, I think that what's going to happen is they'll probably – stick close to their guns um, or stick to their guns going into the year and see what happens with the rotation that they have. Yeah. I mean, look, if the trade's not there, the trade's not there. Yeah. Right. We have heard rumors about the White Sox wanting the world for Dylan Cease. Yeah, exactly. So the thing is, are you going to every off season? There's a couple pitchers available. And I feel like this off season, especially it's been pretty bare uh, in terms of the landscape. There's always a couple pitchers available, and the top ones you always are going to have to give half the farm for. So sure. the question is whether or not you're willing to do that for a guy like Dylan Cease, who's coming off not his best season. Uh, and I don't really think that that's the smartest thing in the world, and I think that's probably what Elias thought too when they asked for Kerstad, Kowser, and Westberg or whatever they did. Yeah, I mean, again, we don't know the specifics of what the White Sox are potentially asking for in those sorts of Dylan Cease yeah. conversations. We have, though, heard Mike Elias say throughout the offseason that the Orioles are looking to upgrade at starting pitcher. He hasn't said we are absolutely going to. He hasn't said we're going to force a trade even if one isn't there. And he hasn't said that we're going to pay somebody five years and $200 million to upgrade the starting rotation. He said that was a goal to do that. And if the trade's not there, you don't have to get it done. But in terms of the need, I think it's more of a should. Yeah, I agree. It, you just won 101 games. You don't know if you are going to get sustained success from guys like Kyle Bradish and Grayson Rodriguez. That's the hope. You saw a lot from them last year. It was also the first year where they showed you that kind of talent and that kind of stuff at the big league level. So is that repeatable? Hopefully, you don't know what kind of season you're going to get out of John Means. You hope that he comes back and things are totally good and healthy and there are no issues after Tommy John surgery. You don't know that for sure. Is Dean Kramer going to continue to put up solid numbers despite the peripheral numbers not being exactly where you want them to be? Hopefully, right? There's a lot of hopefullys and probablys with this starting rotation right now. And bringing in somebody like Dylan Cease eliminates or at least mitigates a lot of those concerns. So I think it's more of a should for me. It's not technically a need But I do think you need to keep up with the rest of the American League. You need to keep up with somebody like the Yankees. 
maybe not payroll-wise because the Yankees are going to pay more money than anybody in baseball, but you can keep up with them talent-wise. Yeah, and when you're in a situation like you are now that not a lot of teams are in where you're coming off a 101-win season and the Yankees are coming off a really poor one, this is your opportunity to kind of stay on top of them, I feel. Yeah. Um, so more now than ever is what you're saying important. Fourth outfielder, again, you do need a fourth outfielder. There isn't one that is completely clear right now. You have Austin Hayes in left, Cedric Mullins in center, Anthony Santander in right. You can kind of count Ryan O'Hearn as a pseudo fourth outfielder, but, he but gonna he's going to be your lot. first baseman DH, and he's going to play corner outfield when you need him to. It's not your preference. The fourth outfielder competition is going to come down to Colton Kowser, Heston Kerstead, Ryan McKenna, Kyle Stowers, Sam Hilliard. You have those five guys internally that are going to be competing for that position. We have some comments on YouTube saying re-sign Aaron Hicks. He gave you a lot of good stuff last year. Do you think the Orioles need to go out and get a fourth outfielder? Or do you think they're just comfortable with the guys they have internally? Well, I think that they're probably comfortable with what they have because they know, you know, the guys that they do have in terms of Kowser and Kerstad especially are guys that could be perennial all-star caliber players one day. Um, though, you know, if you don't want to bring those guys up right now, obviously I don't, I don't, if you're going to bank on Sam Hilliard, I don't think that's the move. Um, if you're not sure. going to bring up one of those guys, I think you need to go out and get somebody um, because I think you should probably have somebody who's better than Sam Hilliard on the bench, though I don't think he's a bad player. It's just if you have the opportunity to bring in a guy like Hicks, who we've seen be really, really good with an 800-plus OPS, uh, hit, played really, really well in Baltimore after coming over from New York, I think that that's the kind of caliber player you need to go to. If it's not Hicks, maybe a guy like Jock Peterson, whose lefty swing is something that I, I think Baltimore fans would love. Sure. Um, there's plenty of outfield options that are actually still out there, which is pretty surprising that this late in the offseason. Um, but that's how I feel about it. You can bring up one of those guys, and that would work. But if you're not going to do that, you need to go to the to free agency because Sam Hilliard, I don't think, cut it. Yeah, I agree. I, I'm kind of on the same page there where I think it's either Kowser or Kerstad or a free yeah. agent because somebody like Ryan McKenna or Sam Hilliard, they're going to fill a role and that role is going to be fine and they're going to give you production and they're going to give you good defense. But somebody like Aaron Hicks, who wouldn't cost a lot, would give you more for less. Yeah, exactly. I agree. So somebody like Aaron Hicks would make sense if you're not looking to Kowser or Kerstad. But that also might not be a move that we see until spring training or somewhere around there. Because I think unless Kowser or Kerstad disappoints in the spring, which I'm not anticipating happening, I would be surprised if it's not one of those two as your fourth outfielder. In yeah, which case, I don't think you need a free agent blocking either of those guys. I was just about to say the risk you take signing a free agent is, okay, all of a sudden we do want to use Kowser, we do want to use Kerstad, yeah. and all right, well, now we've got so-and-so in his way. So I think that in a position like they are now where it's late in the offseason and we haven't heard a lot about them signing an outfielder, I think it ten, or it, they're probably going to stick to their guns here. Don't, training. don't think you need another reliever 
No, I don't think uh, so. You could. There are so many talented arms down there that they could turn into a reliever yeah. or, um, you know, just promote that I think it, it wouldn't be sensible to go out and spend money on a guy who, I don't even know how many guys are out there that are incredibly effective for relatively cheap either. Yeah, and if you're going to make the argument that the Orioles should bring in a starter, then that probably bumps either Tyler Wells or D.L. Hall or both yeah. into the bullpen. So you've kind of solved two problems there. For the first time in a few years, you don't have a hole in the middle infield. Yeah, and in, in fact, this is going to be one of the most exciting spring trainings for middle infields yeah. ever, dude. Yeah. This is going to be awesome. Yeah. I cannot wait to see Jackson Holiday pull up to spring training uh, and just hit the crap out of the ball. I yeah. mean, it's going to be awesome. Yeah, not necessary, I don't think, to bring in somebody like Adam Frazier. I think Frazier gave a lot to this team I last year. Guy. Somebody with a, a great veteran presence had played in the postseason that was really nice to have but it's not a requirement this year you've got Jackson Holiday, who might be your opening day second baseman I think Jordan Westberg is all but a lock to make this opening day roster with how he played last year and then of course you have the group that we've always talked about with Jorge Mateo Ramona Rios Joey Ortiz Connor Norby I don't see a free agent coming in and beating out any of those four guys for bench roles on this team. I agree. I 100% agree. Yeah. Um, they have so much talent in the middle infield now from the farm that there's no point in looking there because you've got Holiday, you've got Westberg, Ortiz, and, and it keeps going, Norby and whatnot. So I think um, they're going to just, you know, watch Holiday hit doubles and tanks in spring training and say, all right, yeah, here we good. go. Yeah. Only other position on the team that I thought of as a potential hole, I don't think it is one, but if we're looking for stuff here because the Orioles don't have a lot, it's designated hitter. Not necessarily that you need somebody there, but maybe that you could upgrade. Or if you have concerns and question marks over whether or not Ryan O'Hearn's success is repeatable. Sure. Kind of the same point I made with Bradish and Rodriguez. You saw a lot of good stuff last year. Ryan O'Hearn made some changes to his swing that clearly made a big difference. But it was also the first year of really quality big league production that you saw out of Ryan O'Hearn. Yeah. So maybe you bring somebody in there. But O'Hearn did more than enough last year to prove that he is worthy of playing every day or close to every day at least. So I don't think that's really a hole. Yeah, I mean, he had a really, really great year last year, and if he put up those numbers again, I think everybody would be wowed. Um, so if he doesn't put up those numbers again, then you do have that conversation. But the way the team is structured now, it seems to me that he'll be the everyday DH, and then when Adley needs a day or Mountcastle needs a day or whoever needs a day, they take that spot and whatever. Yeah. Um, you know, you don't want to have a team who has a guy who is the DH necessarily, but when you have a guy who hits as well as he does, I think that's okay. Yeah, unless it was just a, a really, really high caliber DH. Like yeah, unless you're bringing unless in like a poppy or JD something. Martinez. <laughs> yeah. Like, cool. So really, I mean, there's not a lot of holes on this roster. We kind of knew that before this conversation. The real question was, is there a move that you absolutely have to make somewhere? I'm not going to sit here and say that the Orioles absolutely 100% have to make a move at any one position. But if you are going to make that argument anywhere, I'd say it's starting pitching. And I'm, I'd am i put 90% of my chips into saying that the Orioles have to make that move. Wow. Yeah, I mean, what move would they make? I mean, is it only Dylan Cease? 
it ha- it would have to be an upgrade, right? This is what we've talked about in the starting rotation, where if you are bringing somebody in that's not an upgrade over what Tyler Wells gave you out of the starting rotation last year, then that move doesn't make sense. But if you are able to swing a trade for somebody like Cease or Corbin Burns or Shane Bieber or the guys that we have talked about a lot this offseason that are available, then yeah, that move makes a lot of sense. So I wouldn't bring in probably somebody like Paul Blackburn, who I don't think is really an upgrade over Tyler Wells. But if you think you can make your team better and the trade makes sense, the starting rotation is the place to do that for me. Yeah, I think it's the only place that needs to clear upgrade it too. I just don't know. I I guess I'm worried about whether or not the return would be worth it for the Orioles um, in terms of what they're giving to Chicago in that that situation. Um, but that's the risk you have to take. And if they are to make a move, I agree it should be a starting pitcher, but I'm not sure they will. Yeah, that's the question, right? That's that's why Mike Elias and company have been very, very good at doing this over the last few seasons is they have known which buttons to push when. It's possible that if they don't make a trade this offseason, maybe they make one at the deadline, right? It's, who knows? Maybe they make a move closer to spring training, maybe at spring training, beginning of the season, There are still moves that the Orioles could, maybe should make, but as of right now, there are no glaring holes on this roster, which is a really good conversation to be having as we are a few weeks out from swing training. Yep, I totally agree. I think that'll just about do it for this week's edition of The Bird's Nest. Thank you so much for following along live with us on YouTube and Facebook. We are live every Wednesday at 11 a.m. on those two platforms. Really love reading your comments and seeing you following along with us. Big thank you to Amy Jennings behind the scenes on this one. If you didn't catch us live, you can catch us after the fact on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts or digital shows. You can catch the bird's nest. Make sure you catch the Orioles hot stove show as well. We'll be going live every Thursday on Facebook and YouTube. Think our time is going to be a little different tomorrow as the Birdland caravan gets fired up. Make sure you are keeping track with that caravan, going out, meeting players, coaches, front office members, going to those cool events. You don't want to miss that at all. For Matt Bonaparte, I'm Brandon Mortensen, and we will catch you next time.